Thank you for listening. This is Israel Rebound, a podcast joining Jews in Nebraska to Israel, exploring the ties that bind us through culture, identity, and current events. I'm Alan Padesh in Omaha, and I'm joined with my co-host, Liz Felstern in Jerusalem. Today, Liz and I will catch up since we were off last week. Uh, we have lots of things to talk about. Um, Liz, how are you? I'm doing well, Alan. It's good to see you again. Um, I, I, I'm, you know, while we were off last week, I followed the transition of President Rivlin's um, passing the torch to the incoming now President uh, Isaac Herzog, uh, and that whole ceremonial experience to watch via Knesset TV was quite ex- exciting and interesting from my end. What was the overall take in Israel on that transition? Yeah, you know, we don't have a, a royal family here in Israel as some countries do, but I guess the office of president is where we dip our toe in a little bit in the sense of really having a, a person and in many cases a couple that the whole country can and can look to in that sort of figurehead status, someone who is enough outside of politics that everyone can can get behind them and uh, be proud of, of the things that they decide to emphasize and uh, the way that they represent Israel in the world. So I think um, I think people are always, you know, happy to see whoever is in that office. I can't remember a president that there was a sort of general negative sentiment about, right? It's an office that there's no reason not to not to love and not to be happy with who's in that position. I think Ruby Rivlin did a a wonderful job. I loved a lot of the topics that he chose to emphasize. And I hope that we'll see that uh, Herzog also finds some topics that everybody can get behind and that he feels like he wants to invest in. I I enjoyed meeting uh, President Rivlin a couple of times when he spoke to large groups of American Jewish leaders and you talked about the four tribes of, of Israel. Um, and I think then he's added a fifth tribe. Um, but really looking at who we are as a Jewish people globally and what our responsibilities are to each other and how we can make a difference in the world collectively as Jews. And that fifth tribe that he put in recently was about um, the Palestinians and our relationships with our the Arab citizens of Israel. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that uh, um, Itzhak Herzog, President Herzog, who for the past three years has been chairman of the Jewish Agency for Israel, I know that he has a strong connection and passion for the world Jewry. So it'll be exciting to see how they, um, how he um, develops as a as a ceremonial and significant leader. He's already reached out to Germany with the flooding that took place over the weekend. Uh, he's reached out to America with the issues with the condo in Florida. So I think he'll be a good public relations person for Israel. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, what I also got to watch him give his, you know, be sworn in in the Knesset and the support that he had uh, in that, um, in joining that role. They had, I understand it's a secret election. They There were four or five people who had been nominated and then they vote, um, Secretly, the Knesset members vote secretly for their person, and he uh, had the majority of um, votes. So 
that's how he got in. Yeah, I think it is done very quietly. I mean, I'm not sure that even the names of other candidates are released. I think it is quite a secretive. I think it's a great, um, just a, a great lesson in how Israel's democracy functions, which leads me to really the, the next conversation that we've had since the beginning of our podcast is really looking at the coalition and how it's panning out. It's been almost a month or a little bit over a month of activity within the Knesset and the coalition. Uh, what have you been seeing on the street uh, in Israel on how the coalition is working? Yeah, well, sort of in a little bit of a lull, right, in that the coalition, you know, was formed and people had very high hopes that this was going to be a different kind of governance and that as wildly disparate as the parties in this coalition were, they were somehow going to figure out how to work together on the the topics that are shared. And so far, not too much has happened, right? Every bill that has been put up uh, has failed to pass. And in large part, that's because of members of Knesset being sort of vindictive and spiteful and feeling like no matter what the issue, even if it's a topic that they have previously publicly voted in favor of, not this time, right? They're not going to let this coalition be seen to be able to get anything done. Um, and um, so it's not it's not a change because that kind of very stuck in your block thinking was par for the course, you know, in BB's government as well. But some people had hoped that this coalition was going to be different. And this coalition said of itself that it was going to be different. And it hasn't happened yet. I hear you hit a really interesting point there, because as I watched one of the votes taking place, you can just see the, the, the right-wing coalition that supported something last time immediately shifted their position to vote against whatever the new coalition was putting forward. Uh, and I think that when you talk about the, the divide there, it's also interesting to look inside the coalition of the compromises that the coalition itself needs to make in order to present a, a positive force in deciding certain legislation. And I think that there was a point there where the representative of Ram, Mansour Abbas, had to go along with the coalition, which was actually against what his original uh, votes would have been. And so you just see that they, they're still working together as a, as a body of 60, 61 people and keeping that coalition together in order to combat the, um, the right-wing opposition that was in power before, I think is very interesting to see. Um, I'm not quite sure how long it'll last, uh, but I think we're witnessing, in my opinion, witnessing something unique of Israeli politics. Um, it, it's, yeah, I mean, it's unique in the sense that it feels like it's this um, stalemate, you know, sort of, um, what's the metaphor, like wheels stuck in the mud sort of sensation, but that if it will just catch, then, you know, then maybe we can move forward a little bit. Um, and 
it's it's just hard to know whether that's going to happen. I mean, in addition to votes that failed, there were also votes that were postponed because the coalition could see that they simply didn't have the votes. And so there have been a couple of bills already that were sort of just kicked down the road um, so that more discussions and finagling and trying to figure out how to get the numbers can happen. Um, but but it's hard. I mean, they're having trouble holding everybody together. We have a little bit of a reprieve this week. Um, it's the holiday of Eid al-Adha, which, uh, interestingly enough, do you know what Eid al-Adha celebrates, Alan? No. So just as we of the Jewish faith have the story of the binding of Isaac that Abraham was felt called upon that he was meant to sacrifice his son. So the same story appears in the Islamic tradition, but Muslims believe that it was Ishmael, the son that Abraham went to sacrifice. And at the last minute, God said, no, you don't have to do that. And the lamb appears. And, and so the story is almost identical, but it happens with Ishmael. And that's what Eid al-Adha is celebrating. So that's this week. And because of that, uh, no important votes will be scheduled in the Knesset because it would be you know, a difficulty for any Muslim members to, to be able to come in and vote. So there, there's not too much that will happen this week. Next week, we'll see if some of those postponed votes that, that, that there just wasn't enough support among the coalition for last week. We'll see if some of them can get pushed through then. I did not know that. That's really interesting that they would um, respect the traditions of of the Islamic faith to um, not mm-hmm. have a, any votes. That's, uh, that's something else we should talk about in, in that diversity and sensitivity that Israel tries to represent. I want to go back to a vote that took place this week where the speaker of the Knesset, Mickey Levy, um, pushed the wrong button. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, uh, it was, I only saw the news feed of it, but you could see that he was, um, he made a mistake and couldn't correct it. What happened? So, you know, this was a session of Knesset that I think had started at about 4 p.m. the previous day. And it was still going at 10 a.m. the next morning. They had gone through the night with various celebrations. Um, This particular bill, they started debating, I think, around 2 a.m. And uh, at 10 a.m., when it came up for the vote, uh, this was a, a bill that is meant to increase the size of the selection committee that chooses judges on the religious courts. Um, which does have, it sounds sort of very esoteric, but it actually has some very important implications. Um, And at 10 a.m. after, I don't know, what is that, 18 hours in session, uh, Mickey Levy, uh, who I think is 70, accidentally pushed no on his screen instead of yes. And this led to... uh, a tied vote of 51 to 51, which means that the bill did not pass. Um, had he pushed what he meant to push, it would have passed, but it is what it is. So is there any pushback on on that experience for him? Is um, any? I don't think so. I mean, I think everyone knows that it was an honest mistake and there are reasons why it happened. And 
I don't know actually what the protocol is for bringing the same topic up for another vote. I don't know if there's a specific waiting period, but presumably, right, if they know that they had the votes, although I guess it would have been pretty close anyway, even if he had voted as he intended to, uh, maybe it'll come up again for, for a vote. It just is another example of the challenges that this coalition has moving forward. And even a simple error like that is a is a check mark on how challenging it is to move this government forward. Absolutely. And there have been so many challenges, right? You have one uh, member of Knesset who's out because they tested positive for COVID. And you have one who didn't come in because of some other family issue. And you have some votes where uh, Bennett wasn't there because as prime minister, I don't know, he's got some other stuff he also has to do. So, you know, and but every single one of those votes is so critical because on every topic, they're split along these coalition opposition lines and it's razor thin. Um, so, yeah, yeah it's, it's looking really tough to get any governance done. And I read today that even... Um, Foreign Minister Yair Lapid is uh, in quarantine because one of his staff um, expo- was exposed to COVID, and so he's got to be home while others are doing things. I, I yeah, want to. Go- I, I here I wanna- are not good. No, <laughs> I want to go back to one other uh, coalition, uh, even you know Knesset uh, new issue or new topic, uh, and that is that um, the first deaf member of Knesset. Uh, gave her maiden speech in sign language this past week uh, in the Knesset. So um, Yamina, member of Knesset, Shirley Pinto Kadosh, the first deaf lawmaker in the Knesset's history, gave her maiden speech in the Knesset. Um, Why is this so special? Why is this unique? I mean, look, I would say that any first for any minority group, any special needs group, any person with different abilities is great, right? We want to be able to be a society that can, um, I don't know what the word is in English, but in Hebrew, we would say like to, 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 to swallow, but to be able to, but in a nice way, right? To, to encompass, to include. Inclus- inclusive. Inclusivity. Thank you. I am everybody. And while Israel in, in many ways actually has been ahead of the curve in including people with various abilities, there are other ways where there's certainly still work to be done. Um, uh, Israel actually has quite a sizable deaf community and the, the nightly news has had simultaneous sign language uh, translation for many, many years. So people are used to seeing sign language, but to have, you know, uh, a member of Knesset give their speech was a first, and and I think it's great. I I like the idea of inclusivity um, and knowing that the coalition prided itself on being the most inclusive uh, coalition with members of Knesset that were women from different ideologies, different philosophies, having the first reform uh, rabbi as a member of Knesset. I mean, all sorts of new and firsts that um, this current government uh, is displaying. 
doesn't yeah. mean doesn't mean they'll get any work done. Right. And one thing I'll say, just I mean, look, I I'm glad this coalition happens, and I so want them to succeed. Um, but we talked about how though they had promised to sort of behave better than their predecessors, it's not exactly working like that yet. One of the issues where that came up was in terms of uh, placing people on all of the various Knesset committees, which historically, though it's done by the, the ruling party, the idea is that, you know, um, parties get representation in proportion to how many seats they have. So, and in this case, that's a little bit harder or wonkier to figure out because you have large parties that aren't in the coalition. Um, but at any rate, the, the assignments that were proposed by the coalition uh, heavily favor the coalition. Some of the news reporters have been describing it as a greedy uh, uh, plan of how committee placements should be should be done. Um, and also, it's very clear that the coalition decided to keep their power concentrated in what they see as the most important committees. Now, some of those are committees that we would all agree on what's the most important, right? Um, but what's interesting is that in the very, very small number of committees where they allowed the chair of the committee to be someone from the opposition, presumably the committees that they, in a certain sense, are saying are less important, uh, include the Committee for Women's Equality. So there have been some people saying, you know, what does this say about the coalition? And is this not a good sign in terms of how seriously they see that aspect. So just on the topic of inclusivity and how proud we are of this coalition, we do need to keep our eye on things still in terms of making sure that they really do walk the walk in addition to talking the talk. So I think that'll be an ongoing conversation for us. The honeymoon with Yair Lapid and Naftali Bennett, I think is still holding uh, and we'll see how that pans out. Um, before we close today, uh, when we talk next week, the Olympics will already be in session. We'll see how uh, Israel is doing in the Olympics. Um, other hot non-political topics that uh, are out there that we should talk about? I, uh, well, it's very hard to talk about anything that's not political. You know, today was Tisha B'Av. Um, and I learned a very interesting fact, actually. And then I'll tell you an unfortunate incident. But, uh, well, we'll start with the unfortunate <laughs> incident, I guess. You know, an ongoing issue, of course, in Israel is the Kotel, the Western Wall, and who is allowed to pray there and in what formats. And there is the section which is meant to be uh, available for non-Orthodox prayers. Um, and it still has not yet gotten official government-recognized status. And I will just share that last night, there uh, was a group from both the conservative and the reform movement that went to read Eicha, read the Book of Lamentations, at that uh, area at the beginning of Tisha B'Av. And they were uh, they were not able to do so for the most part. There were 
um, Orthodox groups that had purposely gotten there in advance in that section and taken up all of the space and were singing other songs and chanting other prayers purposefully to not allow this mixed group to read in the way that they wanted to. So that's pretty sad and pretty anti the message of Tisha B'Av, if you ask me. I am. And the related and interesting thing that I learned is that apparently, not to be too much of a doomsdayer, but apparently the two other times that the Jewish people has been the sovereign power in uh, Israel have lasted, each of them, for less than 80 years. Do you know this? Yes. Yeah. And uh, at, what are we here? 73? 73. 73. <laughs> it's getting a little scary that uh, we either have to figure out how to get along better and make it work as a country, or, I don't know, our time is growing short. It's uh, just an interesting little factoid that if we want to be the longest lasting uh, time that we've gotten to be a self-determined nation in Israel's borders. We better figure it out soon. Well, I think that's a mission for all of us to work on that unifying of our ideas and our relationships. And hopefully through our podcast, we will inspire people to be connected more and hopefully uh, prolong Israel's existence. As that's something that I feel very strongly about. I'm sure you do too. With with that being said, Liz, I'll see you next week and we'll resume our ongoing conversation around interesting things that have taken place in Israel. We didn't really talk about anything interesting yet in Nebraska. We should do that at some point. Uh, But I want to thank everybody for listening today to Israel Rebound, and we'll be back next week. Thank you, Liz. Thanks. Have a good one.